you ever thought about the fact that everyone ends up somewhere? Kind of real deep thought. Everyone ends up somewhere. But very few people end up somewhere on purpose. There isn't a person here today, no matter where you're at in life, that you're not somewhere. You are where you are. Your marriage is where your marriage is. Your finances are where your finances are. Your career is where your career is. Just your mental being in life, you are where you are. And it might not be where you want to be. It might not be where you thought it would be. It might not be where you intended it to be. But you are where you are. And for the large majority of people, where we are and where we would like to be are worlds apart. Where we are and where we would like to be seems like a pipe dream. Where we are and where we want to be seems unreasonable. Where we want to be is when we set out and we were full of hope and dreams and ambition and positivity. That's where we wanted to be. But life comes along and life beats us up and it jabs, it jabs, it jabs, it left hooks. And where we are today is never where we imagined we would be. There's not a person here today who's, who's in a dull marriage or a boring marriage or a bad marriage that on your wedding day thought your marriage would be where it is today. Because if it is, you wouldn't have got married. There's not a person here today who gets up and goes to a job that they despise, to work with people they don't like, to make money to pay for things they don't need, that when they started out in life and they graduated high school, they said, man, that's the kind of job I'm going to have a job that I can't stand. My goal in life is to have a job that the moment I get off work, I can't even enjoy the rest of my day because I know I got to get up and go back there tomorrow. If you live for the weekend, you're probably doing it wrong. Now, I get, I'm not bashing you, I get, we have needs, we have necessities, we have things that we have to do. My point is, where you are looks a lot different than where you envisioned you would be. We're walking around, so many of us, and we're living a life working nine to five. We have no fire about us, we have no motivation. It's almost like we're living Groundhog Day. Anybody seen the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? You get up every day and it's the same thing over and over and over again. And here's what's the weirdest thing to me about that. Living a life, working nine to five, and a job that brings you no, no purpose and no ambition, and having a marriage that is stale, and having a re no relationship with your kids, and basically your life being through your phone, that is deemed normal. It's normal nowadays to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. It's normal to live paycheck to paycheck. It's normal to settle. I'd rather be weird. You say, well, mission accomplished. <laughs> I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but we get one shot at this thing called life. There are no do-overs. I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not coming back after you take your last breath here as a horse or a dog or a tree or a bird or another human. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you're done here, you're done. And so many of us waste this thing called life. 
We live our life hoping we could get where we want to be, but we never take the steps to get away from what we are. In a room this size today, there's people that have visions and they have dreams. Maybe your vision is to be financially free one day. How many of you think it would be incredible not to owe anybody anything financially? Wouldn't that be amazing? How many of you think, man, it would be amazing to be totally... How many of you say, if I was totally debt-free, it would change my life? How many of you say, man, I'd like to have thriving friendships in my life, good, healthy friendships in my life? How much would that change your life? You didn't have that crazy friend that's nothing but drama? You wouldn't justify their drama as, oh my gosh, but they've been with me forever. How many of you would like to have a vibrant, exciting, don't raise your hands on this because it's insinuating that you don't. I don't want to create problems for you when you get home. You say, man, I'd like to have a vibrant, exciting, vision-filled marriage. So many of us, what we want with our life and what we have with our life are completely different things. How many of you would love to be able to be in a position in life to say, man, this is what God has called me to do. God's called me to help the homeless and God's helped me, called me to deal with addicts or God's called me to, to, to feed people or God's called me to help foster children or God's called me to X, Y, Z, whatever it is God's called you to do and you are in a position financially, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and physically to do what you feel God has called you to do. It would be game-changing in your life. Here's the reality of the situation. You can end up where you want to be. You say, well, I'm too old for that. They said, I'm too old for that. I said, what do you mean you're too old for that? I said, how old are you? And they were right around 50 years old. And I said, man, you've lived 50 years. You're right, you're old. And I said, um, man, how old did your dad live to be? He said, well, my dad's still alive. He's 90-something years old. I said, oh, okay. I said, how long did your mom live? I said, my mom's still alive. She's 88 years old. I said, so you got good genes in your body, man. Your family's lived for a long time. I said, I said so you got probably, unless you get hit by a car, something crazy happens, you got 30 or 40 more years. So you've got 80% of what you've already lived left to live. And it's too late for you? I, I, I don't understand that mentality. It's too late for me. You can get where you want to be from where you are, but let me make this very clear to you today. Let me hurt some of your feelings today. You will not get from where you are to where you want to be by accident. You will not stumble into a great marriage. I just met this guy and he's so amazing. And he's, he's everything I want him to be and I just love him. Oh, Really? known him for three weeks that's called infatuation not love he hasn't left his dirty socks on the floor he hasn't destroyed the bathroom yet he hasn't told you to stay home because he wants to go watch the ball game with the boys he hasn't went to work yet and think you went to work and he come home and think because you're the woman even though you work and he works that you still ought to do everything around the house hey guys let's Flip it on them too. Guess what? You've been with her for three weeks. She still shaves her legs. This is amazing. She still wears the bikini cut. Well, let's not talk about that. But she's not moved to the comfortable panties yet. Like the panties in the top, they match still because you're three weeks in. You know what I'm talking about? Like you haven't seen... The team-building T-shirt from 1985 that she wears just because it's comfortable. You're in that infatuation stage. You're not in the love stage. If you want to get from where you are to where you can be, you can be, but, but it takes purpose. 
You wanna have a great relationship with your children? It takes purpose. You're not gonna get there by accident. So many people have great relationships with their children. Gary Lamb guilty as charged. If our kids are just like us, I have four kids and not a, well, the eight-year-old. Other than the eight-year-old who will outgrow it, not a one of my kids are into anything that I'm into. They don't like things that I like. They don't like the same type of music I like. They don't like the same type of TV show. Matter of fact, I have officially hit the age in life that everything I do like, they think is lame. Even if they initially liked it. I've got this song I like. I was in the car the other day about a month ago. They must have checked this song out. I don't like that song. I was so freaking irritated. I said, we're four words into the song. How do you know you don't like the song? If your friend would have played this song, you would have loved this song. I just don't like it. Like, got an attitude. No point, I was about a jack slapper. I'm rolling down about two days ago, and she's up in a room listening to that song. I said, I didn't think you liked that song. I've never heard the song with you. I said, I showed you that song four weeks ago. No, you didn't. I said, are you for real right now? I, I don't remember. I kid you not, the next day we get in the car, I turn that song, I don't like this song. Why? Because I like it, you don't like it. But I've learned, man, if I want to have a relationship with my kids, I can't expect my kids to be into what I'm into. And I'm not good at this. This is probably the weakest area of my life. I've got to take an interest in what they're into. You don't get from where you are to where you want to be by accident. You get there on purpose. You will not stumble upon success. We love to explain people's success away as luck. Man, they just got lucky. Well, I mean, I get it, you know. I mean, yeah, they're blah, 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 but the only reason they're blah, blah, blah is because blah, blah, blah happened and that let them do blah, blah, blah. Instead of just being like, man, they kill it. They work it. They go after it. I think Tom Brady, I don't want to debate with you because I really don't care. I think Tom Brady is probably one of the greatest winners ever. I love him. I think he's awesome. Well, he's a system quarterback. Well, if he didn't blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. He just wins. And you want to explain away success because here's the deal. Here's why. Because you're miserable. And misery loves company. And we're the worst generation. We don't delight in the success of other people. Matter of fact, we love to point out the negatives of everything and everyone else. I recently bought a truck. It's a truck. I could care less about cars. I don't know Ford from Chevy, from Dodge to whatever. My wife's a Dodge person. And so cool, we got a Dodge. It's a truck to me. I liked the way it looked. That's what I based it on. So I post on there, bought a truck. I don't care what you think about Dodge trucks. Who really cares? I was excited I got a truck. I've been wanting a truck for a few years. First five comments. Good luck. It's a Dodge. <laughs> Wait for the transmission to fall out. It's a Dodge. Should have got a Toyota. Like, why be negative about something that doesn't even affect you? Got concert tickets to Lakewood. Good luck. That place is a dump. Hope you don't get mugged. Like, it's just, you see what I'm saying? It's immediately we get negative. Man, just join the gym. Have fun getting out of that membership when your resolution's done. You know, those gyms are a We're just negative, miserable people who love to explain away people being successful or people chasing their dreams because it makes us feel better about the fact that we don't have the testicles to do it ourselves. You'll never get from where you are to where you want to be on accident. You will not stumble upon success. Everyone ends up somewhere. Very few people end up somewhere on purpose. And what we need to do is we need to get a 2020 vision for the life that we live. 
We need to get into the mindset that we're going to focus in on something that brings us purpose, something that brings us fulfillment. We need to get to the stage in our life where we are no longer chasing the dollar, and there's nothing wrong with the dollar, but we need to quit living our life going through the motions. we got to quit living our life for less than what God intended for us to be. Let me make this very clear to you today. You serve a God who is for you. He created you. God doesn't make mistakes. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. And yet some of you, most of you, the large majority of people are missing out on God's plan because they've settled. I won't even say it's because they've got content. I won't even say it's because they've got comfortable because you're not comfortable, you're miserable. You come home to someone you can't stand every day. And instead of trying to improve that marriage, you gripe about that marriage. Hello, did I say that? You come home every day living paycheck to paycheck, but you're not willing to make the sacrifices needed to get out of that debt. You're not willing to live like no one else for a short term in order to live like no one else for a long term. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be making a big announcement about finances here next week. We're going to be doing the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Universe class. It will change your life. I'm not going to give you any details about it. I'm telling you, I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're debt-free. It's the most amazing class. I think it's 11 weeks, 10 weeks. I can't remember what it is. Listen, you ought to sign up for it. Guess what? It costs money to sign up for it. We're not going to make any money. We're going to charge you with the, the, the curriculum cost. But here's the You need to have some teeth in the game. Go home and sell something. Go sell your child to get the money. You can have more children. You know what I mean? It's going to be an awesome class. And the people teaching the class are living proof of the power of the class. I'm going to, I'll let you know all that next week. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited about it. We were actually going to do it back earlier. Tanya and Christine were going to do it. And Christine went on the road and it got crazy and we never got around to it and kind of forgot about it. And they hit me up about it last week. I'm excited about it. But we got to get a vision for our life. Listen, my favorite verse, or one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is this verse. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision... The people perish. Where there is no vision, the Hebrew word for vision is the word kazon. And we need to understand, I've told you this before, the English language is a very non-descriptive language. So sometimes we don't get the full depth of what that word means. I've used the example before, the word love. In the English language, we use the word love to describe our spouse I love Christine. I love pepperoni pizza. Same word. Now, I love Christine more. Well, depends on where I'm at in my diet at the time. But most of the time, 99.9% of the time, I love Christine more than I love pepperoni pizza. But we use the same word. So I'm saying the English language is just kind of limited. So we don't necessarily get what that's saying when we just see the word vision. It's the word kazan. It literally means a dream, a revelation, a vision. It means to be living in the clouds, looking at the big picture, and dreaming of something bigger for your life. Your kazan, where there is no vision, your kazan is what gets you out of bed in the morning. The Bible says where there is no kazan, where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, where there is no, where there is no sight, where there is no dream, where there is no period where we're up in the clouds, it literally says people die. We become the walking dead. We're going through the motions in life. We're breathing, we're walking, we're eating, but we have no purpose in our life. We have no revelation in our life. We have no dream in our life. We're moving around, but we're dead. Where there is no kazan, where there is no vision for a godly family, half the marriage is in in divorce. Where there is no vision for financial freedom, you can live in a very healthy part of the world, America, and still live paycheck to paycheck, always worried about money. Where there is no vision for a godly body. 
where that's healthy and honor God so you can live in a world where we're able to take care of ourselves. We don't, and we're not able to follow our dreams because we physically can't follow our dreams. Where there is no vision for great ministry that makes a lasting difference. We get what most of our churches are, and they show up together, and they preach, and they high-five each other, and they go home throughout the week. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision comes on, it fuels us. It motivates us. It inspires us. It gets us out of bed. It gives us something to be excited about. Now, I'm probably a vision guy almost to a fault. I'm like a junkie when it comes to it. Man, I want to shoot up on vision all the time because it just kind of gets me where I need to go. And I'm not saying you got to be like me, but here's the thing, you got to have a vision. If you're not aiming for something, you'll hit it every time. I love the little Charlie Brown thing. And um, who was the little mean one that had the kissing booth? Was that Lucy? Lucy was the mean one to Charlie Brown that would always move the ball. Charlie Brown is shooting an arrow at a fence. I need to find this comic. I, I remember seeing it literally when I was about 16 years old. And he's shooting an arrow at a fence. And Lucy says, there's no target on that fence. And Charlie Brown says, that way I don't miss. And that's what we're living our life at. We're not missing, but you were created for vision. You were created for purpose. You were not created to live life going through the motions. God has a unique vision in your life. God has a unique calling in your life. God has a unique purpose in your life. Let me make this very clear. That doesn't mean your vision has to be my vision. That doesn't mean your calling has to be my calling. (coughs) That doesn't mean you've got to quit your job tomorrow and go out and start your own thing. But it might mean you need to quit your job tomorrow and go out and start your own thing. (coughs) It might be, don't miss this, don't miss this. It might be, that you're not called to do your own thing. You need to quit trying to do your own thing and go work for somebody because your gifting is to be a second man or a third man or an operational person where you can take that first guy with the big vision and take it to a whole nother level. I don't know what the purpose is for your life, but I know God has a purpose for your life. You know God has a purpose for your life. You know what the purpose is. You might have shoved it down. You might not try to think about it. You might not try to focus on it. You might try to ignore it. But those days come when there's no one in the house and you're all alone and there's that silence and you begin to examine your life and you're like, I know there has to be more to life than this. I'm here. But I thought I'd be here. Oh, well, I guess that's just the way it goes. We don't get what we want. We don't get what we want by accident. We don't get what we want by talking about it. We don't get what we want by dreaming about it. We don't get what we want by getting on Facebook and posting passive-aggressive memes and quotes that mean what we wish we could have when we know we're ever going to have what it takes to do it. But when you begin to get a vision and you begin to go after that vision, the opposite of this is true. Where there is vision, the people thrive. Where there is vision... The people excel. Where there is vision, game-changing things begin to happen. (laughs) There's no single issue I am more passionate about than this issue. I've shared with you about my dad before. My dad did not teach me how to do anything that by society standards is a man thing. My dad never owned a gun. He never taught me how to shoot a gun. My dad literally owns no tools. He didn't teach me how to change oil in my car, change spark plugs in my car. He didn't teach me how to build a wall. He didn't teach me how to do anything like that ever. My dad taught me two things. Son, number one, this is called rock and roll music. And he taught me all, my dad took me to concerts my whole life and he loved music. And then he taught me this. Over and over, my whole life, from as early as I can remember. I'm talking, he came into my life when I was about five or six years old. And he used to say, man, if money was no object, 
What would you do with your life? I remember when I graduated, I was trying to figure out, am I supposed to go to college? Am I supposed to do this? And I remember him looking at me and saying, man, if money was no object. He said, if I could write you a check right now, I can't. Because I don't know how to do anything but listen to rock and roll music. <laughs> but if I could do, if, you, if money was no object, what would you do with your life? And of course, all the time I would change. My answer would be this. But every time you know what he'd say, then do it. Then do it. When I turned 16 years old, I got a job at Dairy Queen. I can make the cue on top of a little swirl. You think I'm lying. I've just always been that way. We'd be at Dairy Queen, there'd be two restaurants. I lived in a small town, there was literally one restaurant, Dairy Queen. That was it. So it was always slammed. My line would be 20 deep with people, and the next line would have two people, just because they wanted to be in my line. I'd be high-fiving people, making a thing, and I hated it. Three weeks in, I hated it. And I made out with the manager, and she was married, and I lost the job, and I was 16, and I was stupid, and I, so I got fired. But I came home, and I was like, I guess I'm going to get a job, and so I was going to go look for another job. I was 16 then. And um, I remember my dad said, if you could do anything, what would you do? Who tells a 16-year-old that? 16-year-old's like, go to Taco Bell and get a job. Go to McDonald's and get a job. Well, I was really, the nerd in me, I was really into comic books, and I was really into baseball cards. And I said, man, I'd read comic books all the time and look at baseball cards. My dad said, well, you can't do that, but you could open a baseball card shop, comic book store. So why don't you go do that? And I said, well, I don't have any money. He said, well, I don't have any money either. He said, but you know, they just opened a big flea market down the road. It's $150 a month for a space. Here's first month's rent. Go do it. And I did that for a year and saved all my money and then got a storefront. And I was 17 years old and I owned my own business. Why? Because I had a dad who looked at me all the time and said, hey, if you could do anything with your life, what would you do? So all my other friends were making, I remember four seventy-five an hour at Mickey D's. I'm 17 years old. and that, There's not a lot of money in baseball cards and comic books, but I was 17 years old. I'm bringing in $1,500, $2,000 a week. I'm banking money. I was big ball and shot calling, man, at 17. If you could do anything in your life, what would you do? Go do it. Most of you will never do that because you're scared to do that. You've become comfortable in your discomfort. And then if you could do anything, you're so Americanized in what you would do that what you would do is just nuts. If I could do anything, it was no object. I'd go buy the biggest boat I could. Yes, Christ died on the cross for you to live your life on the lake with the boat. Is there anything wrong with the boat? No, but that's not a purpose. I'd go do this, or I'd go do that, or I'd buy a bigger house, or I'd take more vacations. Nothing wrong with all those things, but you're missing my point. You were created to make a difference. You were created for greatness. And all you can think about is your nine-to-five job, and when you finally decide, man, I want to change something, it, it has no worldly impact on it, and it falls short. If God is for us, do you think he's for us so we can live a self-centered, consumeristic dream life? No. God has given you a purpose and skills and DNA and things for you to step out and do things where you can enjoy life. Make no mistake about it, I get to enjoy life, but I also get to do what I feel called to do, which is this. I don't feel called to put on wrestling shows. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. I love doing it. I, I don't feel called to put on barbecue festivals. I love doing it. But the finances I make from those things allow me to do what I'm called to do. Phil will tell you, I, don't, I would assume Phil would tell you, he doesn't feel called to check pipelines. But he checks pipelines because it pays him well, has flexibility in the schedule. He gets to provide for something. He gets to do the life he does to do what he feels called to do. Come here and lead you people in worship of our Savior. What are you called to do? What is your cows on? 
The problem is we don't understand the stages of Kazan. We don't understand the stages of vision. So when it comes along, we don't know how to do it. So I want to do this. I want to walk you through those. Because everything starts with these stages. Everybody with a vision goes through these things. And if we're going to get a 2020 vision for our life, and we're going to take the steps to quit living the mundane and quit living the life, going through the motions, and we're going to get a 2020 vision, we've got to be willing to do these things. If you look back at all the greats in the Bible, if you look at Moses, if you look at David, Esther, Paul, Nehemiah, over and over and over, you'll see people who had a vision. And every one of these went through these four stages. And you've got to know these four stages so you can know they're happening to you and know it's a normal process, part of the process. Because if you don't, it'll scare you. Because learning the process of the vision for your life gets uncomfortable. And when we get uncomfortable, what's our natural inclination? Go back to our comfort. But what if? Well, what if? I fail. You know the thing, amazing thing about failing? It's not fatal. What if I fail? Then you fail. Who cares? At least you can look yourself in the mirror and say, man, I tried that. It did not work. I could write a book on things that have failed. I have had some nut ideas in my life. I don't promote the crazy ideas. So you don't hear a lot about them. I just make sure I promote the ones that work. I don't tell you about the ones that failed. Okay? I don't tell you about the fact that I wanted to buy a pontoon boat and have a bar in the middle of the lake and that that is highly illegal and that you cannot do that and the state will never approve that and why would you let people who are driving a boat get drunk and you be responsible? It's a horrible idea. It's actually a great idea. That's highly illegal and can never happen. <laughs> Man, we've got to have a vision for our life. We're going to hang out in Acts chapter 20. I've got to go quick because I'm hungry. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul has been out starting churches. Paul is in this town called Ephesus, and it's a place where he started a church, and he loved this place. Paul was crazy about Ephesus. He loved the people. As you see Paul dealing with the different churches, he just seemed to love, he seemed to love Ephesus. He loved the people there. He loved the city there. He loved it. And I think if anywhere Paul was going to be for the rest of his life, he could have stayed in Ephesus. He loved it there. He loved the ministry. But God began to stir in him. God began to call him to something bigger and something new and something different. So with tremendous sorrow, it broke Paul's heart to have to leave Ephesus. He gathered the elders together. These were people that, hey, he had bled with spiritually. He had done life with spiritually. And he came to me and said, it breaks my heart, but God is calling me to something else. With sorrow, he opened up and said, man, I, I've got to go do what God's calling me to do or I'm not going to be comfortable. And for some of you today, God's doing that in your life. God's calling you to something different. He's stretching you, and he's asking you to leave your comfort level and move on to his purpose, and you're scared to death. You don't know what's going to happen. As much as you hate where you are today, it's nice to get that check on the 1st and 15th. That's how they get you. They get you comfortable. He says, I've got to take this step of faith. Some of you are going to have to take that step of faith. You're going to have to leave your comfort level and take that step. And, and Paul, he's very emotional. And, and in Acts 20, here's what he says to the elders. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I, I'm leaving here and I'm going to Jerusalem. And check this out. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Not a very positive message. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. I want to read this story again throughout this, and I want to show you in this text right here, there's four stages to your calzon. There's four stages to your vision. I don't know what God's calling you to do today, but you do. 
What is that thing that makes your heart start racing? What's that thing that you're just naturally passionate about? Someone told me recently, and, and I struggled with this at first, because I, I, I thought this lady was kind of um, demeaning herself, I guess. I, 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 or I don't know if she was demeaning herself, if that's the right terminology. But she said, I feel called to my husband. I said, what do you mean? I feel called to help him in whatever he feels called. I was like, no, 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 no. No, what is your vision for your life? She said, I feel called to my husband and whatever he feels called to, and I want to help him. I believe in him so much. And I was like, oh, no, 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 you're better than that. And I thought to myself, she's better than that. That's what she feels called to do. I'm not saying every woman has that vision, by the way. If we were a Baptist church, I would say that, but I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I sat back and I was like, she believes that, she means that. And she said, I can't do that right now. I have to get up every day and go to this job. And I have to go do this and I can't help him. And, and I see my husband has so much talent. If I could just come along and help him in this area. She goes, I know we could be super successful. What is the vision for your life? I don't know what it is today. But you do. You say, my vision doesn't make sense. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. It's one of the stages of a vision. The first thing and how you know you're on the vision of what God's called you to do, there's a Spirit's prompting. The Spirit's prompting you. Paul went to them and said, I am now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. In other words, this wasn't my idea. This was the Holy Spirit's idea. I'm compelled by the Spirit. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't get it. But God's telling me to do it. Hey, I want to start a church. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But I want to go to the ghetto of Canton and start a church. Matter of fact, I want to go to the part of Canton that within a half mile radius, nobody speaks English and I don't speak Spanish. Hey, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I want to start this church, and I have zero dollars and not a lot of credibility in this town eight years ago. Hey, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we ought to start this church in the middle of summer when church attendance is in decline and no one's thinking about church because they're thinking about vacation. And we did all those things here at Action Church. And all I could tell people was, I felt the prompting to do that. I felt called to do that. It doesn't always have to make sense. Sometimes you just got to feel called to do something. Compelled by the Spirit. I, I, I was in deep this week in, in my school field, in my, in my uh, lexicon, breaking down things in the Greek and the Hebrew. And, and, and this literally means... It, 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 the first part of this word, the deo, is a Greek word. It says, if you're taking notes, it compelled. It means, it means I'm bound. Almost right. He said, I'm bound to do this. I can't even be happy if I'm not doing it. The second part of that word is by the Spirit's pneuma. It, it, it's like a breeze. He said, I'm bound by the Spirit. I'm bound by this breeze to do this. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. I understand that you don't get it. I understand that there's been no logical science to do it. I just know that I 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 know I feel compelled to do it. When you're wrapped up, you're bound by the Spirit. Where the, where the Spirit of God is just moving you, it's pulling you. Where you see something that isn't and you think it should. When you're looking at something that everyone else is saying can't be and you're saying it can be. It's just that thing that you see when no one else sees it. Ah, here, here's how it is. You feel drawn to something. How many of you, and I know they're not really around much anymore, but remember, I know town center, but when's the last time one of you went to the mall? Or you've been to the mall. So when I go to the mall, it's enclosed and I walk in, something immediately happens to me. Christine knows exactly what it is. I can be anywhere in the mall. And I smell 
the Great American Cookie Company. And it doesn't matter why I'm at the mall. It draws me. It compels me. Right to its counter to get a cookie. I love Great American Cookie Company. And the fragrance draws me to it. This is what the Spirit's prompting is. There's just something in your life and it's prompting you. It's drawing you towards it. Action Church exists today because 20 years ago, I went to Panama City Beach on vacation. I got food poisoning my first hour there. I was sicker than I've ever been in my life. And the only thing I could do was go into a room and lock myself away from everyone. And someone had given me a copy of a book called The Purpose Driven Church by a guy named Rick Warren in California. And The Purpose Driven Church, maybe you know The Purpose Driven Life, but The Purpose Driven Church was all about reaching those that don't do church. It was about having church with a purpose. And I'm reading this book, and you understand something. I'm about 23 at this time, and I'm pastoring the church that I refer to as the church from hell in Iowa. I'm pastoring a Baptist church full of crazy people. I'm pa- I'm, I'm, let me tell you how crazy they were. I had a family leave my church one time because I had a blue button-up shirt on with a tie, and they said a blue shirt meant I was going liberal. I had someone leave my church one time. We had no drums because we were in Iowa. And they said, what do you think about drums? I said, it would be cool to have drums. And they said, oh, we had to leave the church. I said, what are you leaving the church for? Because you might have drums one day. Because we might have drums one day? You're leaving the church now? Can you not wait till we have drums and then leave? You know, and this is all about doing church for the unchurched in your community. And so, man, I thought it was great. So I'm pastoring this church, and the church had about about 300 people at the time. And and, and I didn't know I was young and, and dumb. And I said I thought everybody was going to buy into my vision because I'd read this book and I was prompted by the Spirit. And I got up the next day and I said, "Hey, guess what we're doing? We're dropping the name Baptist. I'm bringing a band in, and next week we're going to be like this." The church went from 300 to 30. We were in reverse growth. People in that church threatened to kill me. I had to get the police involved. They were so angry. They pulled our website down and, and put my picture and put, put traitor on it. That was, if you looked at our website, there was me because I didn't have access to the website back then. And uh, it was awesome. And it made no sense. But I felt prompted to do it. There were the next, went from 30, and then there was 50, and then there was 100, and then there was 200. We were in a college town. And all these college kids started coming to the church. And by being prompted to do something that didn't make sense, it didn't make any sense because I was making a pretty good salary at that church. And guess what I had to do when the 300 people went from 30? Because I don't work for other people. I went to work with a cleaning company, cleaning offices. Can you picture me cleaning offices? That was awesome. My key to cleaning an office is this. You don't really got to clean it good. You just got to make it smell good. So I just squirt like clean the stuff in the floor and make it smell good. That was my move. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that's how I did it. I was young. But I did that for about three days and said, this is stupid working for someone. I can start my own cleaning company. So I went and started my own cleaning company. And every day I'd try to grow the church. And every night I would work all night long cleaning offices, cleaning toilets, cleaning bathrooms. Not, not that I think I'm too good for that. I'm just saying that's how strong the prompting was. It had been a whole lot easier to ignore the prompting and get the salary. But sometimes you can't ignore the prompting. Some of you, you've got a prompting that's been going on. You have a stirring that's going on. There's something in you and you say, man, I know that I know that I know I was created for this. Then go do it. God's calling me. Now here, after the Spirit's prompting, guess what the next stage in the vision is? There's certain uncertainty. Certain uncertainty. Paul said, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Listen, you're never going to have all the answers to the vision you're called to do. Well, I really feel called to step out and do this, but I'm going to make sure that this is making the money that I can do before I step out over here. Well, this is never going to grow to step out where it makes the money because you're so focused on this thing. here, You don't have time to build this thing. So you're going to talk about it forever and ever do it. Vision has uncertainty to it. Put that slide back up, please, Andrew. The only thing certain about following your vision for your life is that it's uncertain. 
I know I'm supposed to do this. That's all I know. I'm not really sure what's going to happen next. (laughs) You'll experience this in different lives, parts of your life. And we live in that uncertainty. I, I feel I'm supposed to marry this person, but what if they turn into a psycho? They will. It's called marriage. I, I need some assurances. There's no assurances. There's no assurances that it's going to make it. There's no assurances that you're going to be okay. No, no, no. Back that up. You're going to be okay. You might lose everything, but you'll be okay. Guess what? I've lost everything before. And I lived. It's amazing. I didn't die. I learned. I moved on. Certain uncertainty. I was talking to someone this week who's pretty successful. I have a lot of respect for it. It goes to our church. And they called me about my messages last week. And they said, do you know that I've lost everything three times? I would have had no clue. I said, what? Yeah. But man, it's working right now. Isn't that awesome? You live and you learn. God's calling me to leave my very secure job and start a business. I just need a guarantee. Then you'll never do it. There are no guarantees. And oh, by the way, BTW, that secure job you have, is not very secure. You think it's secure. Wait till it's not secure. You know how many people have rolled up into work one day and thought they had the greatest job in the world and they'd be there forever to be let go that day because there was stuff going on behind the scenes they didn't even know about? The things that you think are certain are so uncertain, you just don't know that they're uncertain. There's uncertainty in it. I think sometimes God, I think I put this on Facebook here, God, I, I, get, I think sometimes God will come along and say, listen, I'm not going to give you the details because you can't handle the details. If you knew all the details, you'd probably say no to what I've called you to do because there's going to be some heartaches along the road. There's going to be some bumps across the road. My sister, you know my sister hates me. I've shared that with you before. And one of her gripes with me, she goes, everything Gary does turns out good. And that's just because she's ignorant. I just don't share the things that turn out bad. I don't get on Facebook and brag about the festivals that I've done that have lost, what, $10,000 and $12,000 and $15,000. And you say, that's not a lot of money. It is a lot of money to us. I get up and talk about the ones that made $30,000. People are coming to my events like, oh my God, this is amazing. You must be making money. I'm like, do you know how much that cost and that cost and that cost and that thing that cost? You see lots of people and it took a lot of money to put this on. So like, you must be making so much money at rest. And I said, yes, because man, $10 tickets are how you get rich. <laughs> Certain uncertainty. Nothing's for sure. Nothing is for sure. If I knew all that ministry entailed, if I knew the emotional hurt that ministry caused, if I knew that the people that you were closest to would stab you in the back over and over again, if God had given me all the details about ministry 20 years ago, with all due respect to God, I'd have given him the one finger salute and said, hey, give that to someone else. That ain't for me. The problem with some of you is you want to know step five, and God said, hey, just take step two. Isaiah, he says, I will go before you, and I'll make the crooked places straight. It's okay. You want to take step two when God's saying, hey, I've already been to step five, but you've got to take step two for me to get you to step three. I'm calling you to this, but you can't handle the details right now. I remember, I don't know why this story popped up in my head this week. I remember the very first time when Christine and I got together, Luke was two. So Luke's about two and a half, and Rick came over. We lived in this neighborhood. And he used to like take Emily around on the motorcycle. 
and Luke wanted to ride the motorcycle. Luke is a very timid kid. He's got a lot better because Christine just beats the tar out of him and won't let him be timid. But he used to be very timid, scared of everything. She doesn't beat the tar out of him. I'm kidding. And um, So he said, I want to ride the motorcycle. He wanted to ride the motorcycle so it was time to put the helmet on and sit on the motorcycle. And he was scared to death. Now, Rick was literally just going to drive him around the neighborhood block. You could see he was scared. He was shaking. He was nervous. We wouldn't let him get off the motorcycle. I said, you're going to ride the motorcycle. He was sitting in the front. And it took off. Luke like he's about to break down. And when Rick pulled back up, he's grinning from ear to ear, squealing. He loved everything about it. He was so excited. He didn't know what he was getting into, but he had the guts to do it. And when he got had the guts to do it, he got to enjoy the enjoyment of doing it. That's the problem with some of your kids. You see fear in their life immediately, and you don't, you, oh, it's okay, baby, let me stroke you. Don't have to worry about it. Sometimes you need to make them do some stuff and watch them sit back and enjoy it and love it. When you follow God, man, it's amazing. There's this sense of, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. I, I'm, not, I, I'm never that preacher that gets up on stage and tells you, I'm great at this and you're not. Because I tell you the things I'm not good at, but I'm saying this is just one of those areas, man, I believe uncertainty, it doesn't affect me. I've been around long enough and done this long to know God always provides. Where God leads, God feeds. Now, he might feed with ramen noodles for a year, but that's okay. He feeds. I mean, you know me. This is my philosophy. God, I've told you, you think I'm joking. God, I'm about to go do this. And if it don't work, I like to put it on God a little bit. We both going to look real dumb. You got me? And we do it. When I met Christine, Christine had never been in that kind of life. She had been married to a person that worked a steady job and was a hard worker and had a job and always worked. But never a person that had stepped down and was like, hey, I don't know if there's going to be any money from this, but we're going to do it. But now she's a bigger person than I am in that area. Because we know that uncertain uncertainty happens, but God always comes along. And, and you give God the opportunity to show out. I think I've shared this story with you before. The first church I ever took a job in paid me $12,000 a year. $1,000 a month. That was the singles pastor. The college pastor is what they called it. $1,000 a month. Even 20 years ago, you couldn't live on $1,000 a month. But you know what's funny? When I made $1,000 a month, I never wanted for anything. Ever. I don't know how. I would show up at my house and there'd be bags of groceries. I'd go to the mailbox and there'd be an envelope of $500 in it. People would come up to me after service and be like, man, thank you for all you do. And they would shake my hand and it'd have two or three hundred. It just got always, it was this uncertain thing, but God always provided. And I'll never forget when the pastor called me in one day because I made a fatal mistake. Made a fatal mistake. I know you're going to surprise find this surprising my ego got in the way I found out the janitor of the church was making more money than me and I complained about it I went to my pastor and I said Jay makes more money than me my pastor said stick out your hand and I stuck out my hand he reared back and he slapped it wham he said stick out your hand he reared back and he slapped it. Wham! He said, stick out your hand. He slapped again. I mean, it's red. You know how you get slapped. It's about to start bleeding. Fourth, he said, stick out your hand. I said, no. He said, you keep slapping the hand of God and eventually he'll move it. He said, but I want to prove it to you. I'm going to bring you on full time. He gave me a full time salary. Do you know when he brought me on from $12,000 to $36,000 a year? I was more broke than I ever was. The groceries all of a sudden weren't outside my door. And the $500 handshakes stopped. And the $1,000 in the mailbox stopped. And I was thankful for the $36,000. But the point was, when I was out doing what God had called me to do and wasn't worried about those things, God was always providing. God was always taking care. It didn't make sense on paper. But the certain uncertainty was God was like, I'm not going to let you go hungry. 
when I took it out of God's hand and wanted the safety of the paycheck, I had the safety of the paycheck. But the hand of God, the prompting of other people, was no longer happening. (laughs) You got to get ready for that uncertainty. You step out and you start that business, guess what? Things might be lean for a year. I was listening to a book yesterday by Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone is probably one of the most successful hustlers there are. And he says the first business he ever started, he stepped out, he quit his full-time job, and went after this other job. He started his dream job. And he said he figured in his mind it would take him four months to get to what he was making at his full-time job. And instead it took him four years. And he said for four years, him, listen, don't miss this, him, his wife and his three kids lived in a one-bedroom apartment. The kids had the room and the wife and him slept on the sofa, the height of bed. And for four years, he chased his dreams and had no money. For four years, he did it. For four years, he did it. And it made no sense. He said, but they always were able to pay the bills and always able to do things. And he said, about four years in, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. Now he lives next door to George Clooney because that's the kind of money he makes. Certain uncertainty. He said, and he pulled the Dave Ramsey, he said, I was willing to live like no one else for a short period of time. For the rest of my life, I could live like no one else. Some of you aren't willing to do that. You want the safety. You're comfortable with your $50,000 a year. There's nothing wrong with $50,000 a year. It's not what I'm saying. But you're miserable. You hate your job. You're not willing to go down to $12,000 a year for 18 months or 24 months. You're not willing to eat pork and beans for 24 months. You're not willing to cut out some things for 24 months. So for the next 24 years, you can live successfully following your dreams. You want certainty, and that doesn't happen with vision. Certain uncertainty is guaranteed. Predictable resistance will happen when you follow your vision. As you step out to put your vision on the calendar, you can make sure your spiritual enemy is going to come all the way and look what Paul said. He goes, I only know one thing. He said, I don't know what waits for me. That's certain uncertainty. He said, I only know one thing, that in every sea the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Holy smokes. He said, I don't know know what's (laughs) going to happen when I get to Jerusalem. The only thing I do know is that hardships and prison await me. The only thing I do know is that, listen, there will be predictable resistance to what God has called me to do. Is it because I'm not supposed to be doing it? No. It's because the enemy will attack. And hey, sometimes, sometimes, don't miss this, and also don't read in this, sometimes the enemy in this situation, you're married to him. Sometimes the enemy in your situation gave birth to you. Isn't it funny the ones that ought to be supporting our dreams sometimes are the most, because they're the ones most comfortable with the life that we provide. They're the ones most comfortable even though you're miserable. (laughs) Man, there's going to be an enemy that's going to come along and try to stop you. They're going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to frustrate you. It's not because they're bad people, but it's they've got comfortable Moses, we got to get these people free. Pharaoh comes along and provides resistance. Joseph, I talked about him a couple of weeks ago. I had this, this vision to be his great leader. And the brothers say, no, 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 we're going to beat you up and sell you into slavery. Nehemiah, I've got a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Sam Bell and Tobias said, no, you ain't going to do that. Predictable resistance. Anytime you step out and do what God's called you to do and it doesn't make sense, the people that ought to support you the most many times are going to be the ones who try to discourage you the most. And they're going to do it because they think they're helping you. Just play it safe. Let me tell you the biggest lie in the church today. You ready for the biggest lie in the church today? Bless God! There's no safer place than the will of God. Tell that to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were in the will of God and ended up in a fiery furnace. Tell that to Daniel who followed the will of God and ended up in the lion's den. 
Tell that to Jesus who followed the will of God and ended up on the cross. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the will of God is the safest place to be. It's the greatest place to be, and it's the place that God shows out the most. But there's no promise American church where your comfort, prosperity preaching that the will of God is going to be some safe place. The will of God's dangerous. The will of God can be crazy. The will of God can be stressful. The vision for your life might be insane. Now listen, I'm not saying go home today and tell your spouse you're just stepping out and doing it. Get together and put a plan together and work the plan. Bring some comfort to them. That's what teams do. Try to be a team for once. Oh, did I say that? But when you step out, there's going to be resistance. Man, I have a vision for a godly marriage. We're going to pray together. <laughs> you begin to pray and your wife don't like the way you're praying. Next thing you know, the shoe's flying across the room and she's hitting you in the head with it. What's going to happen when you have a vision? Let me go ahead and tell you, can I, can I encourage you for the Financial Freedom Day of Ramsey class? Every one of you that signed up to take that class, the minute you sign up for it, your refrigerator's going to break, the car's going to break down, the oven's going to quit working. Something's going to happen because you made that commitment, man, to get it. And the devil's going to come along and try to throw you a curveball. You're going to have a vision to get in great shape. You're going to go to the grocery store to buy fruit and veggies and Twinkies are going to be 75% off. And they're going to call to you. Or you're going to do what I do. Every single time I say I'm going to get myself in shape, I get some kind of weird injury and it messes me up being able to work out. I get the injury because I'm out of shape. Ain't it funny how that vicious circle works? Always going to be that. Ignore the haters and do what God's called you to do. you got one shot at this life. I know I'm going long. I'm going to wrap it up right here. Lastly, there'll be uncommon clarity. Uncommon clarity. Uncommon. There'll be a prompting. There'll be uncertainty. There'll be haters. But there'll be an uncommon clarity. And this is where God wants you to live. I love Acts 20, 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. This is Paul. In other words, you can kill me. You can kill me. If I can't do this, nothing else matters. If only I may finish the race and complete the task. In other words, I can see it. I can see the finish line. This is why I exist. This is my purpose in life. I'm not going to end up somewhere else. This is my cow's on. This is my vision. I'm going to go start this. I'm going to go do this because I want to be able to. I'm going to make sure I have a great marriage because I want my kids to understand what a great marriage is like. I'm going to break the cycle of divorce in my family. I don't want you to raise your hands. But how many of you had a bad marriage and now your kids are in their 20s and 30s and they don't know what a healthy relationship is because you showed them what an unhealthy relationship was? Can't go back and change that. But you can change it. Kids that are still there. You can change it where your grandkids see what a great marriage. Your grandparents, I mean your great kids, I mean, if only I can do this, the task of the Lord Jesus Christ has given me the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. He says, I don't care what I have to do. I want to do this where God can be glorified. Some of them to me said, I just want to step out and do this job. And I said, why do you want to step out and do this job? Because I want to see their motives. I said, well, I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to do things I love. But I want to be able to have the flexibility to do whatever else God calls me to do. I said, bingo, I can help you. Paul said, I don't care what happens. I just want to be able to step out and make God known. I don't care if there's going to be enemies. I don't care if there's going to be resistance. He said, I consider my life worth nothing. <laughs> he had the vision, man. He just wanted to step out and do what God had told him to do. He said, I don't care what anyone says. I like, I like Nehemiah. Nehemiah's up on the wall building. I got to wrap up. Nehemiah's on the wall building. And the enemies come along and they want to meet with, hey, Tobias and somebody. They come along and say, listen, come down and meet with us. Come hang out with us. Nehemiah just gave him a stone cold salute, man, the one finger salute. He said, hey. So I sent messengers to say to them, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Man, Nehemiah was clear in his vision. There was nothing the naysayers could say to him that was going to make him change his vision. 
I had a group recently here in town, and they were having a roundtable about homelessness. And they asked me to attend. I said, what's the point of it? We just want to come up with solutions. I said, I have the solution. I do it. But there might be better ways. I said, oh, awesome. Y'all go do it your better way. Why don't you just come to the meeting? I said, I don't have time to come to your meeting. I'm clear in how we do it. Do I think it's the only way? No. But this is how we feel called to do it. I don't got time to take four and a half hours out of my day to come sit around, eat Panera sandwiches, and listen to you guys who have never done anything talk about what you would do if you had the testicles to go do it. That didn't go over real well. But I didn't do it. And they're still doing nothing. I'm clear on what our vision is. I don't apologize for our vision. It's why when people have come to me and past people I've loved and people I've cared said, man, if we could just tweak this, we could stay here. But we feel, I'm like, man, I love you. And I hate that you're leaving. But bye, Felicia. I'm not changing it for you. Because God called me to do it. Spirits prompting, certain uncertainty, predictable resistance. Take the next step and do what you feel called to do and end up somewhere on purpose instead of by accident. I love this prayer, and I'm going to end with it. By Sir Francis Drake, he said this. He prayed this centuries ago. He said, disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us. Lord, when we get comfortable disturb us I'm convinced your biggest issue with most of you is your dreams are just too small 